Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. Good morning. Welcome to 2020. And we are back together. It's good to see your faces here. Um, For me, the beginning of a new year is a chance for uh, God's mercies to be reminded of, the the newness of the day that we have. Uh, His mercies are new every morning. But it's also an opportunity for me to recommit to God because at times our uh, walk can grow cold, can't it? We can get off track and off course. And, uh, and this year, I hope that you'll make uh, some spiritual commitments, maybe as you're making other commitments for growth in your life. Um, and that may be a, a commitment to be a part of uh, here, uh, worship here at Greenville Oaks. We'd love to have you and to engage with you more. Maybe it's to take the next step into one of our groups to really do life in community with others uh, that are walking toward Jesus together. Uh, or maybe it's uh, personal disciplines. Uh, we talked about earlier the Version app and some of the ways that you'll be able to engage through the year on our Greenville Oaks page on that app. Uh, this, these next few weeks, we're going to be walking through a series in Ecclesiastes. And there's a reading plan that goes along with that, so you'll be able to read through that book over the first three weeks of the year and then ongoing as we move through uh, whatever series God has ahead of us in this year ahead. So I want to encourage you uh, to think about what is going to be my step this year of growing closer to God, growing closer to God's people, growing cl- closer to your purpose in God's mission uh, throughout the world this year. Well, it's a fresh start. And I know there's some uh, controversy over, you know, whether this is a new decade or actually it's next year that's the new decade. I'm grateful that we're a gracious enough place to give the people on stage earlier, the chance to say it's a new decade. All I know is this, it's the 20s that we're in, all right? So we can celebrate the fact that we're in a new decade and that God's mercies are new in this decade. I'm excited about the year ahead here at Greenville Oaks. Uh, this, we- this week we're beginning a three-week study of the book of Ecclesiastes, but I think there's a lot of great stuff that we can learn and pick up there. And it- from there we're going to continue on in God's vision for this church, uh, the exciting things that God has ahead of us. I'm excited for this year. As we kick off this new year, I want to begin by asking you to consider a question that ought to chart the course for the goals that you set for yourself, the kind of person you want to become, the kind of family you want to lead, all of those things. And that question is this, what makes for a meaningful life? When, when, when you get to the end of your days and you look back and you want to know that life, that you lived it with all that you needed, that it was meaningful, that it made a difference, what is it that defines that? What's the scorecard It's going to allow you to say, I lived with everything I had and made it meaningful. Some people would respond and say, well, a meaningful life is found in the quality of one's relationships. And you can see that in the the way they schedule their calendar. They value the people that are most important to them, the people that they get to pour into most influence. And so you can tell by their life that's what success is. For others, a meaningful life is found in the quality of their experiences. So they may set up their budget in such a way that they don't spend money here so they can spend them on those experiences that will be memories for years to come. Others may talk about it as, well, financial capability and stability. Uh, Some of us grew up in insecure situations financially, and to be able to set up the next generation in a way that we didn't grow up would be a, a measure of success perhaps for you. And still others believe a meaningful life is defined by the mark one leaves behind when they leave planet Earth. 
So what is it for you? What would make for a meaningful life? Over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about that question. We're going to talk about what makes for a meaningful life and what is meaningless in this world as well. And the book of Ecclesiastes is where we're going to spend some time answering those questions. So this morning, I want to encourage you to open in your Bibles or on your YouVersion app or Bible app to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is pretty well in the middle of uh, the Bible. It's past Psalms, past Proverbs. The next book there is Ecclesiastes. And it's 12 chapters uh, within uh, this book about wisdom and the wise way to have a meaningful life. And so uh, I'm going to open in just a moment into the words of Ecclesiastes, but right now I want to begin with prayer as we open God's Word together. Father, you have been good. All of our life you have been faithful. And we want to return that favor and that goodness with our own righteousness, not a righteousness that comes through our own efforts, but in submission to your Holy Spirit that is a gift to every one of us. God, many of us right now, we are pursuing paths that we think are meaningful paths. And for some of us, those paths will not lead to meaning. And for others of us, we're learning and recorrecting to find meaning in new ways that are directed by you and by your word, by Jesus. So this morning, as we think about what a meaningful life looks like and how we set up our lives to have meaningful lives, that we would look to your word, that we would find from Ecclesiastes a word of good news about what that can look like in this year and decade ahead. I pray this morning you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, a couple of years ago, I preached a sermon series called Back to the Bible. If you remember anything from that series, my guess is you might remember the backdrop. There was a bookcase that we had with 66 books. And those 66 books each represented a book inside the Bible. And what I was trying to say in that series is that the Bible is much more than just a book. It's actually a library of books. And that library of books was written by 40-plus authors over a span of about 15 and 100 years. It's written in three different languages, written on three different con uh, continents. And it was written to all kinds of situations. And there's different kinds of genre and literature within this book. It's not all the same. There are historical books. There are gospels. There are letters, there's poetry, there's apocalyptic literature. You think about Revelation and parts of Ezekiel and the prophets, apocalyptic literature. But there's this genre that we talked about in that series briefly that I want to come back to, and that is wisdom literature. So many of us in our lives want to know, what does a wise life look like? How, how do I become wise? And the Bible actually has three books in particular. Some would add a few more to that that talk particularly about what makes for a wise life. It's the wisdom literature in Scripture. One of those books is the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is broken up into 31 chapters, which makes for a really good rhythm spiritually. Uh, a month like January has 31 days, and so if you, you know, read uh, each, of, each of those Proverbs chapter by chapter, a day at a time, you'll be able to work your way through the entire book. And Proverbs has this real simple way of viewing what wisdom is. It's conventional wisdom. If you live this way, this is the result you can expect on the other side. It views things in a very causal way. A plus B equals C. Uh, so, for example, uh, it, it teaches things that are real simple like, look, if you do what's right and wise, your life is going to go well. But if you do things that are wrong and evil, life won't go as well for you. One of the examples of this comes in Proverbs chapter 11. It's just one proverb out of all the proverbs in the book, but it, it is, I think, emblematic of what the book is trying to get across. It says, they're truly the righteous attain life. But whoever pursues evil finds death. 
Basically, if you live well, it'll go well. And if you live poorly, it will go poorly. Now, is that true, that statement, most of the time in our lives? Say yes, yes. Generally, that is a true statement. But is that statement always true? And I would say no. There are exceptions to that proverb that's there. Some of you have protests that you could offer this morning to say, look, I did everything right. I tried to live in such a righteous way, but what I see are those who are wicked that are are, are succeeding in a much faster pace than I am. I, I thought that I would live this way and God would give me health on the opposite side, but what I'm finding is that health isn't there. Proverbs isn't interested in nuanced wisdom. These are generally true statements about how the world works, the kind of wisdom you would pass off to your kids, right? Kids, if you live in this way, in an upright way, it's going to go better for you than if you choose because there's consequences to a life gone wrong. So the book of Job comes back and it challenges that kind of wisdom. It's post-conventional thinking because Job is a story about a guy who lived a blameless life. He followed proverbial wisdom. And yet, we find out behind the scenes that even though he's blameless, there's been this conversation between the Satan and God, and they've had this barter about, you know, he's only following you because everything is going well. And if you'd remove health from his family, if you'd remove his own health, then he may not worship you at all. And so behind the scenes, Job and his friends don't know all this, but things begin to go poorly for Job. And he loses his children in the midst of these disasters that happen. He loses his own health later on in the story, and his friends are there. You know what they're doing? They're quoting Proverbs to him, basically. They're quoting Deuteronomy. These places that are very simple causality to say, look, Job, if all this is going wrong, we know what the problem is. You've sinned in some way. And if you would ask forgiveness for God, if you would confess your sins, God will take away all this disaster in your life. And so we know there's something wrong because bad things happen to bad people, which is pretty much proverbial wisdom. And Job stands as a book that's trying to counter that simple wisdom to say that's not always the case. It doesn't always turn out the way we'd like it to. And Ecclesiastes comes out of that same kind of thinking. It's post-conventional wisdom. It's, it's for those who've lived life a little longer than those simple truisms in life that realize yeah, it doesn't always work out their way. There are examples we can think of. There are examples you can think of maybe in your own life, of God, why did this work out the way it was when I tried to live in tune with your precepts? So Ecclesiastes comes with a different kind of wisdom. It's not the wisdom of a young, inexperienced person would give you. Ecclesiastes provides us with hard-won wisdom. It's, it's written by a king who's been to the school of hard knocks. And if you want a simplistic notion of wisdom, then you can read Proverbs. Proverbs confidently preaches a simple message. Do what's right and it'll go well for you. And that's the kind of simple teaching, teaching that we give our kids, right? That's what we want them to see is there are consequences to our actions. But if you've lived life long enough and been through enough hardship, you realize that things aren't always that simple. And the author of Ecclesiastes has some wisdom to share with us for those who've experienced that kind of hardship. So we're going to take three weeks to listen to this book, and I want to start by reading the beginning of this book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This is how the book begins. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Talk about a strong opener to a book, right? Now, is this the kind of person that you would want to take your wisdom from? 
Someone who seems so cynical to say it's all meaningless, it doesn't matter what you try, everything in the end is utterly meaningless. I might opt for a different wisdom teacher than this one. But I want to talk uh, more deeply about this because I think there's a point underneath that we'll get to over the next three weeks. A couple of things I want to start out with in terms of context. The first is that there are two voices in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's the book, uh, book's author who's writing this whole piece. You see the book's author in verse 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. He's introducing this teacher who's going to be doing this teaching to us. So verse 1 is the author's voice. And then the last six or seven verses of Ecclesiastes, the author's going to come back and is going to summarize the voice of the teacher and really kind of challenge some of the wisdom that the teacher's giving. And then you've got the teacher that almost the entire book, it's this voice of the teacher. And that's the second thing I want to talk about. Who is this teacher? It says there in verse 1 that this teacher is the son of David, the king in Israel. Traditionally, we thought that this book was written, at least the teacher's voice was Solomon who was speaking, who's the son of David, who was king in Jerusalem. And there's some questions about if that's the case or not, but we're going to assume in this series that, that this is Solomon and that Solomon's life helps bring uh, the wisdom that we have to learn from this, this text. But regardless of who this teacher is, he has a confident perspective about life. His, his, his perspective seen in the first verse that he shares, verse 2. Meaningless. Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now the word the teacher uses that's translated as meaningless in our English versions is the Hebrew word havel. And havel simply means this. It means vapor or mist. It can be translated as meaningless as well. What he's saying is, look, everything is meaningless. Your life is, it's all utterly vapor. You can't cling on to it. You can't grasp onto it. All of it is vapor management. That's what your life is. Life is temporary. Life is fleeting. Life is quickly disappearing. Life smoke. Uh, like smoke, life appears solid at times. It feels like you can get your arms around it, but it doesn't take long for things to get out of control and realize you can't hang on to anything. There's plenty of beauty and goodness in the world, but you can't seem to hold on to it. It's havel is the word that's given. The author of Ecclesiastes gives us space for this teacher to begin to teach this kind of deconstruction to the way we pursue meaning. And over and over again, the teacher is going to say, you cannot find meaning in the things you're pursuing to find meaning. It's meaningless. All of it is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And the teacher concludes his comments at the end of this book, the last verse in chapter 12, verse 8, before the author comes back to speak, with the same words he begins his words with. This is Ecclesiastes 12, verse 8. He says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, everything is meaningless. Throughout the book, the teacher is trying to convince us as the readers that all the ways we try to build meaning and purpose are meaningless in the end. And my first thought is what I shared with you earlier. Who would want to learn from this cynic, right? Because not everything is meaningless, right? We find meaning in all kinds of things. Why listen to this guy? Why not just go back to Proverbs with the simple wisdom that's there about if you live this way, this is what you can expect. But Ecclesiastes is in our Bibles for a reason. And if we assume this is Solomon for a moment, that gives us another good reason to listen. Solomon has a great reputation when it comes to wisdom in the Bible. He's the wisest person in the East, the wisest king who lived at that time. 
There's this great story actually in the book of 1 Kings. If you want to turn there with me, you're welcome to. 1 Kings chapter 3, a story about this decision that Solomon had to make when he was king. Between these two women who came to him, impossible situation. But listen to the wisdom that Solomon uses that's been given to him by God. This is in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 16 and following. Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, pardon me, Lord, this woman and I live in the same house and I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I was, your servant was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. And the next morning I got up to nurse my son and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, no, this living son is my son. The dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours. The living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, this one says my son is alive and your son is dead while the That one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. And then he gave an order. Cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling, give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. It's an amazing story, right? This difficult scene of how do you decide whose baby this is, but Solomon has the wisdom to draw out the true mother. So what's happened to Solomon since that moment to this moment where all the cynicism seems to take center stage? But before you grow judgmental of Solomon and disregard his wisdom in the book of Ecclesiastes, I want you to consider your perspective for a moment. Think back over the last year, the last decade, the last season of your life. Have you ever expressed this kind of cynicism before in moments of despair? Have you ever come to the end of moments in your job or moments in your family or moments with your children You're longing for them to make the right decisions or you're longing for things to work out or for God to answer prayers. Have you ever despaired and said something similar to what you hear in this book? It's all meaningless. It won't make any difference. Why do I go to such great lengths when no one seems to notice? Is there any hope left? My guess is you've been there. Have you ever questioned if you were making any difference? You ever felt like you ought to leave your current situation and find another where you can be appreciated more? Some of you understand this feeling because you've experienced seasons of anxiety and depression where everything seemed dark and it seemed like nothing would lift from that burden. And some of us have become hopeless cynics who trained our eye to see all that could go wrong rather than all the hopeful things that could go right. How many of you can connect with Solomon's words at moments in your life? How many of you can identify with these words? Solomon is not a naive young man who hasn't experienced life at this point. 
Throughout Ecclesiastes, this teacher, as I believe, speaking from the second half of life, reflecting back on all those years before, all those pursuits and how meaningless so many of them were. Look at all the ways that he pursues meaning in this book. I think some of these will connect with us. The teacher pursued meaning through acquiring wisdom. But at the end of that pursuit, listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. This is his reflection on trying to find meaning in wisdom. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly, but I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. And then he pursues meaning through pleasure. Listen to what happens at the end of that pursuit, what he reflects on. This is Ecclesiastes 2, verse 10 and following. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And then he talks about his pursuit of meaning and work. So many of us can claim that that's part of the way we've tried to find our meaning. And this is what he says at the end of that pursuit. This is chapter 2, verse 22 and following. What do people get for all their toil and anxiety striving which, with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. And finally, he talks about pursuing meaning through wealth. At the end of that pursuit, having been quite successful, this is Solomon's words in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. You see, Solomon tried it all. And his conclusion is meaningless, meaningless. Everything is just vapor. It's just a mist. You can't hold on to it in the end. So maybe the question you have is, why are we starting... 2020 with this much despair and hopelessness? Is there any hope in this book? Is there going to be any good news that you have to share with us, Colin? And I would say, yes, hang around. I feel more pressure these days to try to wrap things up with a bow because I know that uh, our, uh, I can't count on everyone necessarily to be here for all three Sundays. But what I want to tell you is if you'll come back the next two weeks, there's good news that I want to share with you. This book ends on a note of hope. It ends with a word of hope. Because again, the author and the teacher get bringing different messages. But it won't come in a traditional ways that we find meaning. Solomon's journey to find meaning is common in our world. And I'm grateful to authors like Bob Buford, a guy who wrote a book called Halftime, that some of you might have read about the, how the first half of life is often this pursuit and this climb on a ladder towards success and meaning and identity. But when all that kind of falls apart at some level and you move to the second half of life, you realize that significance is more important than success. Richard Rohr has wrote, written several books on the first half of life and the second half of life. And I think this is true. I think there's some wisdom here to receive from someone, Solomon, this teacher, who I believe is in the second half of life, reflecting back on that pursuit in the first half of life. In the first half of life, most of us are in a mad rush to find our identity. We try to try on several identities in order to find fulfillment and success. And people in the first half of life have, find it very hard to listen to those who are further down the line saying, you need to slow down and enjoy the life that you have. Enjoy these moments that are filled with meaning and purpose. Because we're on a race to the top. We want to race to find that perfect job. We want to race to find that perfect spouse. We want to race to climb the corporate ladder. 
And then we race to pay off the student debt so that we can race to pay down our first uh, da- uh, uh, payment down on our house that we long to have. And then beyond that, we continue to race to have a family. And on and on that pursuit goes, thinking if we can get this, then the meaning and success will come. But at some point, we discover that these pursuits are not ultimately fulfilling. They don't fill us with the meaning we'd hoped they would. And doesn't that sound a little bit like Solomon's complaints? I tried it in wealth. I tried it in work. I tried it in pleasure. I tried it in acquiring wisdom. I tried all these routes, and at the end, at the top of these ladders, what I found was it was meaningless. It was a chasing after the wind. Over the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to continue this journey with this teacher. We're going to find some good news at the end of this journey. It's going to get a little more dark next week as we look at those different pursuits in, 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 in his life. But what I want to guarantee you is there is another path to finding significance in our lives, to finding meaning in our lives. If you truly want to live a meaningful life, this scripture and the message of Jesus that's to come in the future past this book of Ecclesiastes has an incredible word to share about the abundant life that Jesus wants to give to us. This is the promise in John 10.10. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And so much of the first parts of our lives are pursuing the lies of the evil one that wants to do those things. But the promise is in John 10.10, I have come, Jesus says, so that they may have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about that. How, what is the abundant life? How is it found? And how are the false roads that we take somehow can be turned around to find our meaning in the way that God intended for us to do that. Because while there's much in life that is meaningless when you think about all the pursuits we've had, there is an abundance that God has put before us if we follow the road that he has. So the author and the teacher of Ecclesiastes intend to reveal this path to us. So this week what I want to encourage you to do is this. I want you to think about that meaning question. What is a truly meaningful life? What's the scorecard that you're using right now to determine, are things going well? Is this on path to where I think I'll be pleased and, and have success? And that, those questions may look different in the first half of life than they are in the second. We'll talk about those halves of life the next couple of weeks. But I think the teacher in Ecclesiastes has something to offer to us, and ultimately the author has good news as well. Right? So I want to encourage you to do that, but also I want to encourage you to read through the book of Ecclesiastes over the next few weeks. Maybe you want to do that in one setting and, and read the whole book and get out of it what you can. Maybe this week you want to try to do that, or, or maybe it's just one chapter uh, a day as we move forward through this series. But let me encourage you to pick up Ecclesiastes, and again, the Version app will help you do that. Um, we'll be pushing out uh, chapters to you if you sign up and, and get on that where you can get on each day and, and have the reading for the day. <clears throat> Let's pray as we close our time in the Word this morning. Father, we have so many messages that come our way every single day on our devices, on billboards, with wise teachers that we give listen to, and with those that aren't so wise, that point us to a life filled with meaning. And God, some of us can confess this morning that we have been on so many of those roads and so many of those routes, and we know exactly what the teachers say. We have found life to be meaningless on so many of those roads. God, some of us haven't gotten to the end of that journey yet. Right now, we're on a meaningless road. We may not even know it. We may not even know there's another path. 
God, my prayer is that as a church family, as a people who are called into the mission of God here at Greenville Oaks, that we can be the kind of people who learn what doesn't bring meaning so that we can point others through our own testimonies and our own witness to see the abundant life that's ours in Jesus. But God, we need help. Because so many of us this morning feel as if life is drifting, as if it's meaningless, as if it's a vapor we can't hold on to. And thousand, over a thousand years ago, over 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, you gave us this book of Ecclesiastes that talks about that very thing. And that's the incredible wisdom of your word is that it never fails, it never comes up void, it still speaks to the exact moment we're in this many years later. And so I give thanks for that, and I pray you would give us a discerning eye to read and to understand and to put into practices what it looks like to live the abundant life that Jesus has promised to us. I pray this this morning in the name of Jesus. And all God's people say, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Instagram. You can find and follow us there at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.